This episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast is brought to you by my friend James Bean and SeedsHereNow.com. SeedsHereNow.com is the number one source for high-quality seeds with a money-back guarantee and lightning-fast shipping. With monthly sales, James Bean's pocket full of freebies, and easy credit card payments, you cannot beat SeedsHereNow.com. To catch the latest drops from your favorite breeders, check out SeedsHereNow.com today. Here we go. Welcome to the show, podcast world. I'm your host. My friends call me Rasta Jeff. This is episode 761 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, I'm going to answer a couple of listener emails. Before I get to that part of the show, let's do a few shout outs to a few of those great folks who continue to support the show on Patreon. Let's kick it off with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast. Thank you. Shout out to OG Roach and the Devil's Weed. Let's send a big thank you. Shout out to Randy Farms and Growing Tennessee. I want to send a big fist bump and a thank you shout out to Noah Ann and Just a Smokin'. Let's send a big thank you shout out to my buddy Ars Kickerson. I want to send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Shoe Trader 101 and Stash Drop 269. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Dreadlock Farmer. I want to send a big thank you to Kojax. Let's send a special thank you to my buddy Grow Man Stan. Then let's wrap it all up with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to DO9419. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you would like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen. And of course, I do include a link in the show notes and in the video description to make it super easy for all of my friends to support the show. This is the part of the episode where I invite you to the DGC Growers Cup. That's right, July 30th in Fort Collins, Colorado. The Dude Grows crew is throwing the Growers Cup. Team Irie Genetics and several other breeders will be there. A lot of members of the Irie Army and the Dude Grows crew will be there. The Dude will be there. Scotty will be there. Guru will be there. I will be there. White Mike will be there. It will be a good time. It will not be the same if you are not there. So I do invite you to the DGC Growers Cup July 30th. Make sure you check out DudeGrows.com for tickets, details, and all of the information you may need. I also want to take a quick minute to thank everybody who has supported iRedirect. If you check out my website, iRegenetics.com, there is a tab that says iRedirect. Big thank you to everybody who has supported iRedirect. If you have not gotten your tracking number yet, please do send me an email. I will get that tracking number out to you as soon as possible. All right, I did start off the show by talking about listener emails that I was going to read. Let's jump right into that portion of the show. This one comes from our friend Chase, and it goes a little bit like this. It says, yo, what if you have a pack of fem seeds, but you really want to breed or make seeds? Can you just use STS on a female plant and get normal seeds, or will they always be feminized? That is a very good question. Um, if you only have fem seeds, there is not a way to make a male plant unless you do something to one of those female plants to make it create pollen. So uh, without introducing a male plant to that mix, without having some male pollen, there is no way to make regular seeds. Your seeds will always be female unless you do introduce a male. If you do put a male plant into the mix and you pollinate a female 
a feminized female plant with a regular male plant, the seeds that come from that will be male and female. It's all about that pollen donor. So your original question is, if you've only got fems and you want to make seeds, can you make a female plant get normal seeds or will they always be femmed? These will always be fems. If you only have fems to work with, you're only going to make more fems. There is nothing wrong with breeding from feminized seeds, but I would recommend doing some sort of outcrossing, not just taking it further filial generations. Uh, I would add some more plants to the mix, but this is your project. You do what you want, breed with love, grow from your heart. Most importantly, have a good time. I hope I answered your question. The real quick answer, they're always going to be females. Uh, and then I do encourage you to do your breeding project. All right, big shout out to my buddy Chase for the great question. Let's keep it moving. I've got another question here. This one says, hey man, can I use rainwater instead of distilled water? Uh, the quick answer is going to be, you could, you can. I would at least do a basic water test. Maybe uh, find out what's in that water. Maybe at least check the EC and the, uh, the TDS of that water. Definitely check the pH, but maybe do a quick test and find out what's in there. It kind of depends on what's in your area. I live near a steel mill that puts off a lot of disgusting chemicals. The rain in my area will probably have steel mill chemicals in it, which will end up in my plants, which is probably going to be some form of heavy metals or some sort of junk I don't want in my plants. Honestly, I don't know enough about water science and uh, what can travel through the water and through the air that way to have a solid testimony, but I wouldn't recommend it if you live uh, in the city or near chemical plants or a lot of factories and shit. If you're out in the trees and out in the woods where the water tastes good, then I would definitely recommend it. Then I would use that water. But before I use any water that doesn't come from a regulated sort of a, a municipal system, a municipal source, I would check on it, see what's in that water. Uh, if you don't have a way to test it, if you can't scoop up some water and take it to a water testing place, or at least do a little bit of testing on your own, maybe at least just feed it to a couple of plants before you give it to the entire garden and see what a few plants do. That is my version of testing if you are isolated, don't have a lot of resources. So the short answer is yes, you can use rainwater, but think about what are you collecting the water in? How are you collecting it? What is that water running over as you collect it? Is it running off of your roof of your house, onto your car, then into a bucket? Or are you actually collecting it in some sort of a semi-clean manner where you're not gathering a bunch of shit? Whatever it washes over is going to end up into your collection vessel. I'm not trying to discourage you, but I want it to be clean. Now, something that caught my attention, you said you're using distilled water. Why? What are you using distilled water for? Why are you doing that? That's um, Nobody else does that. We use filtered water, uh, maybe RO water, maybe water that went through a big boy. Most of the time, uh, my water here in Colorado is pretty cool. I just run for the home grow. I don't even use a filter. For the commercial grow, I just use a big boy. So I'm not sure why you're using distilled water. That may not be the best idea, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, thank you for the great question. That one came from our friend Joseph. I told you I had a few messages here in front of me. We're just going to keep cooking right through them. This one came from, you know what, we're not going to say their name because they have a question that says, should I worry if my buds have started throwing nanners at week six of flower? Then it says in light depth. Um, yes, I would be concerned if my plants started showing nanners at week six of flower. That is a sign of intersex uh, or hermaphroditism, which is not desirable when it comes to a cannabis plant. We don't want that trait. Those nanners, if they are uh, if they're viable, they can have pollen in them. They'll open up and they will pollinate. Uh, at least the buds right next to them, possibly the entire crop. And having nanners at week six is not a good thing. I would definitely uh, kind of freak out a little bit. Since you say it's a light depth garden, I'm going to assume that there is a little bit of a light 
leak somewhere. Probably right where you're seeing those nanners, light is probably getting in there when you think it is dark. That would be my main assumption. So I would uh, assess the situation, see if you've got total darkness. If not, correct that. Then I would work on what to do with these uh, intersex plants. You've got a couple of options. Are they throwing just a few nanners? If it's just a few, maybe you could cut them out. If it's a lot, I would really start freaking out. If it's just a couple, uh, spray them with water and pluck them out with tweezers and then keep an eye on that plant. If they reappear, you got shit to think about. If they don't come back, you're okay. If you've got a lot, I would probably just cut them down. You are past the point now where I don't think those plants are at risk of getting seeded, but it still isn't going to make the crop any better to have a hermaphroditic plant inside of the the, uh, the greenhouse, the, what is it, a hoop house probably in the light depth situation. So it is probably uh, detrimental to that crop. I would pay very close attention. If you've got all clones of the same strain, it's a very good likelihood it could happen across the room. If you got different strains, different plants will have different resistances. Also, again, I would check... Um, Wherever that plant is, I bet you it's on an outer edge at a corner or something where the tarp isn't covering perfectly at night. Maybe the wind is blowing. Uh, it's still daytime outside, but it's nighttime in your grow environment. The wind is blowing. There's a crack in the tarp, something like that. The light's coming in right there. That is probably right where the culprit with the intersex plant will be found. So uh, yes, you should worry if your buds have started throwing nanners at week six of flower. That is called an intersex plant. That is a breeder's nightmare. That's also a grower's nightmare. I hope you've ran this plant in a smaller environment to figure out if it's a good plant before you put it out in the light depth. Either way, sounds like you've got some problems. Time to start thinking about what to do. All right, this next question is sort of a change of pace. This one is a little bit different and it goes a little bit like this. It says, I have sent someone who is very popular in the cannabis field 500 pheno-hunted seeds he was supposed to work with and his girls too. Oh, and add his girls too. So our friend sent 500. I'm not sure what you mean by pheno hunted seeds. You can't really pheno hunt. They haven't been pheno hunted yet. He's got to pheno hunt them. Maybe they were specially bred or specially selected seeds. Anyhow, our, our listener sent 500 seeds to a very popular grower who was supposed to work with them and add his girls to the mix. This popular breeder claims he lost all of the seeds. That's kind of sketchy, sounds sketchy to me. It says, my question is, what's the best way to do a collab with someone without them fucking you over? My other question, well, let's talk about that part first. Best way to do a collab without getting fucked over. Uh, build a solid relationship. Work with people that you know. Um, meet people face to face. It's great that we're making friends on the internet and that we're so spread out and that like-minded people in one part of the country are meeting like-minded people in the other part of the country and we're doing shit together. But if you're going to send somebody 500 seeds and it bothers you enough that you're going to send me an email about it, maybe you need to meet these people face to face, shake hands, make an agreement, do some things like that before you go into business like this. My other line of thought is uh, this is partly why sometimes I don't do business with some of my friends. Uh, I started doing, when I started my business, my company, I relied on friends for a lot of their services. I like having my stuff made by my friends because then they get to make some money, their business moves, my business moves. I see them get to buy groceries with the money that I gave them and then I, my business moves, theirs moves, it feels good. But sometimes it's hard to do business with your friends because when your friends mess up, like let's just say that random company messed up. Let's just say that cloud, what, who makes this? This is called the cloud lifter. Let's say cloud fucked up. I could call them and cuss them out because I don't know them. I, it's just not a problem. Hey, my thing fucked up. I need a new one. If they give me problems on the phone, I go, no, listen, it broke. It has a warranty. Send me a fucking new one. If I do business with my friends and shit goes wrong, it's like, 
no, nah, it's okay, buddy. I'll just eat the loss. When deep down inside, you're like, fuck, I needed to make that money. And now both of our businesses are not going to work. And I got weird fucking animosity toward you. And you you think you're getting one over on me. And I don't like that you're getting one over on me. And this is going to last forever. Ah, that shit sort of sucks. So a lot of the times I choose to not even do business with my friends at this point. If there's somebody else out there that can do the job, I may hit them up for it. Um, if you've recently done artwork for me or done some shit, don't feel like I'm saying you're not my friend. I'm saying in most cases, uh, but uh, I do love feeding my friends and giving my friends work, but oftentimes I'll just skip them and go somewhere else because it, it causes less headaches, honestly. But don't let that sway you. Don't let that stop you from doing business with your friends, with your crew. How I started saying this was build solid relationships with solid people. Spend time with people, get to know them, vet them, see how they act. Go to dinner with somebody. How do they treat the wait staff? Are they cool to the waiter? Are they cool to the waitress? Are they respectful? Do they treat the waiter do they treat the waiter just like they treat you or do they treat the waiter like the waiter's a piece of shit? That stuff matters. You'll learn a lot about those people. So just go spend a few minutes, spend some time with them before you jump into big 500 seed relationships and business proposals with this people. So uh, the best way to do a collab is to do it with somebody that you trust and you know and that there's a reason for you to be doing the collab. Um, I'm not just doing collabs with random people on the internet because there are plenty of other people that I know and trust and have a reputation that I am doing collabs with and it works better that way. So the best way to do it is just build a reputation. The other option is contracts. You can write a contract. Contracts are very easily uh, established, written, drawn up, however you want to do it. LegalZoom.com will throw you out a very simple contract for a very good price. They do not even pay me to advertise them. LegalZoom.com will get you out of so much hot water. They'll save you so much headache. Check them out. They'll help you out. You can get a contract or maybe you've got a basic lawyer or maybe you could just find a basic contract online that will cover what you need done. But have an agreement, have it in writing, have a paper trail. My expectation is this. You agreed to do this. Together we expect to do this. The outcome will be this. The proceeds and profits will be divided this way. In the case that this goes wrong, this is how we will deal with it. Have all that shit in paper and writing before you get to that point. That's why when you go to the car dealership, you got to sign your signature 7,000 times. They're covering their ass every way that they can so that you two are entering a contract. You're saying, I'm going to get this car. They're going to give you the car. The bank is going to help you out. You don't get any extra shit other than what's on the car, but you do have a warranty. You've all got to sign all of that shit so that if anything comes up, every nut and bolt on that car is covered. You've got to do the same thing when it comes to making a contract with your friends, with your partners, when it comes to a 500C deal. I would definitely have some sort of arrangement, some sort of protection in place. But first of all, man, meet these people. Uh, go shake their hands. Be friends. See if they're cool. See how they interact with the community. See how, are they cool with their girlfriend? Are they cool with wait staff? Are they cool with their grandma? See who they're cool with. See, see how they act in traffic. Just see how they are. You can learn a lot about people. It says, my other question is, because he says he lost my seeds, shouldn't he pay me for my time and effort? He's now going to send me 100 seeds of his and his pollen, but I feel I'm owed more for all of my time and effort. A year of projects lost. What do you think? I think that if you would have had that contract with a stipulation of if you lose my seeds, then I get to take your firstborn child and I get to smash your car with a hammer. He probably wouldn't have lost the seeds. He might not have signed the contract. Uh, also get your contract notarized, but that's a whole nother can of worms. He probably would not have gone into business with you if you would have been uh, more strict, more of a stickler. People that have contracts and cover their asses don't get taken advantage of. So uh, the other part of this was uh, he should pay you for your time and effort, but who determines what your time and effort is worth? Is that you or is that him? 
You probably both totally disagree on what your time and effort is worth. You probably totally disagree on what your seeds and pollen are worth. Uh, you feel you're owed more. Uh, it was a year of projects lost. What do you feel a year worth of breeding projects was worth? Uh, not only the year worth of the seeds, but the year it set you back, the year you could be in progress. That's a lot of stuff to think about right there. So, um, man, this is there's a lot to think about here. I would have had a contract in place. I would have had agreements in place. I would have had goals in place. And uh, 500 seeds is a lot to send somebody that you don't really know at all and really have a bona fide relationship with. So my advice, um, your first question is, how do I do a collab without someone fucking me over? Get to know people, understand how they do business, understand how they operate. Uh, are they hiding behind the internet or are they right here transparent with their face out on the internet? Pay attention to stuff like that. The second question is, um, he lost my seeds. Shouldn't he pay me? Of course, we shall be paid for our product, our time, and our energy. But how do we determine how much that was worth without some sort of... That's why you decide how much the car is worth before you test drive it. So that way, if you crash it, they know how much you got to fucking pay them. So my advice is next time, have some contracts in place, have some preparations in line, have an agreement, and stop messing with people who you can't trust. All right. Thank you for the great message. I would say your name, but you did not say if you wanted on here, you know who you are. Thank you, my friend, for the great support. All right. I've got one more email question here in front of me that I want to read on this show. This one came from my buddy, Newbie Nugs. Shout out to my buddy, Noob Nugs. What's up, bro? Hope you're well. The question goes a little bit like this. It says, hey, Rasta Jeff, I have a question about when a seed description says indica and sativa percentages. Is this just breeders' opinion from the phenos they have grown or tested and seen or an estimation based on what's in the lineage or some lab-tested data to come up with this number? Thank you for everything you do, bro. This is a really good question. I think I could ramble on this one for a couple of good minutes here. Um, currently, we are shifting away from the terms indica and sativa. Those are going to be expired terms in the next few years. We're going to have updated new modern terms for that. Uh, broadleaf drug cultivar and weird shit like that are all going to take over, but we're going to have to reassess what we're calling indica and sativa. One author says we got it backwards a long time ago. We've been doing it wrong. A lot of authors say that those are expired terms. I know what you mean when you say indica and sativa. So they are valid terms for the purpose we're using them right here. Most of the time, an indica plant is going to be your shorter, squatty plant with the big white leaves. When you smoke it, you get a little bit more of a mellow buzz. You want to chill out. The things we call sativa are usually a taller, thinner plant with the skinnier leaves. When you smoke that, you get that psychedelic buzz. You want to get up and do shit. We're going to stick with that description for sativa and indica for the purpose of this podcast question. So is it just breeder's opinion based on phenos they've grown? Honestly, there's no really like uh, tried and true, hard and fast system or way to uh, identify this. It is honestly um, the breeders. We kind of take the plant that we started with, the two plants, and we say, well, that one's like 50% sativa, 50% indica. This one's like 70, 30, and we breed them. And then we have a, a kind of a prediction. I've always got a prediction when I put them together. Then we just see how they grow. A lot of times, most of the stuff that I breed is straight up sativa heavy because I am breeding for that sativa head buzz. So we kind of watch the phenotypes that come out, watch the majority of the phenotypes. And then when I say that it is 70, 30, that's because out of all of the plants that I've seen, the majority of them would be on that average. It's based on the average of what I see. There are always going to be outliers. There are going to be phenotypical differences, uh, outliers, anomalies, and everything in every population when it comes to working with plants or anything with nature, with genes and chromosomes, any kind of breeding, there will be outliers. But 
The way that I compile most of my information is by watching a lot of grows. I grow the seeds. I've talked in a previous episode about testers growing it. I give it out as freebies. We start selling it. I'm constantly updating descriptions and details about my strains as I see things evolve. So basically the way that I do it is I watch the plants. If I see traits, I know that that's an indica trait. If I watch traits, I know that that's a sativa trait. So I just decide overall by what I've seen from every version of that plant. If you've grown a million seeds of uh, dark hollow and I see how it grows, then I say 70% of those is an indica. We're gonna call it mostly indica. It just I use it by observation and details and then just base it off of averages of what I see is how I do it. I cannot speak for other breeders. I can't tell you how other guys are doing things. Sometimes I have no idea how they're doing some of those things. Honestly, those uh, those phrases, indica and sativa, are going to disappear. I've stopped putting that on my website. Uh, most of what I make is really heavy sativa. If it's indica, then I do try to indicate that this is more of an indica dominant thing. If you're looking for indica stuff in my lineup, I would recommend the Moon Tower, the Dark Hollow, maybe the Double Dose. And in the future, there will be some more stuff that is a little bit indica heavy for you. Maybe some indica dominant crosses coming in the future. I did hint that there may be an indica male in the vault. All right, newbie nugs, I do thank you for the great question. I hope I gave you a useful answer. It feels like I kind of danced around it and avoided it. But honestly, there's no real tried and true way. You asked if there's a lab test. There's not really a lab test. It would tell you if it's indica or sativa. A lot of it is based on growth structure, leaf size. And then I think a lot of it is determined by terpenes. How does it feel when we smoke it? What kind of buzz does it give us? So I wish I had a better answer for you. I make my decision by looking at plants and just deciding is this indica or is this sativa? All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pimps and hoes, friends and foes, smokers, growers, clone cutters, and pollen chuckers, all of you beautiful cannabis enthusiasts out there, I do want to thank you once again for listening to episode 761 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. If you have any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns, you know that I would love to hear from you. My email address is growfromyourheart at hotmail.com. If you feel like this episode was educational, informative, or entertaining, maybe you just want to throw me a couple of bucks because I made you giggle or I helped your garden, all you have to do is check out patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen. Once again, big thanks to everybody who continues to support the show. Everything else you could possibly need will be on my website at iregenetics.com. You guys, my voice is burning out. I'll be back in a couple of days with fresh new content. I want to give a big shout out to my friend, James Bean. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mama a hug for me.